Uh, we're going to continue now looking at uh, the next installment, as it were, in our series on uh, Colossians. Before I get into that, I should just say, Happy Father's Day. It's, um, not a lot of happiness around Father's Day. Uh, I would say Father's Day is probably the one day of the year where dad jokes can reign. And believe me, with a black eye, uh, there's been some serious dad joke. You know, you should see the other bloke, all that kind of stuff uh, coming out. Some of my favorite dad jokes, though. Uh, why did the scarecrow win an award? Because he was outstanding in his field. What's the opposite of irony? Wrinkly. I heard this, uh, I heard a story actually about a little girl on Father's Day and uh, she turned to her dad and she said, Dad, you're the boss of this family, aren't you? And the little girl sort of gave him a little smile and he just felt so chuffed and kind of warmed by that moment on Father's Day. And then a couple of seconds later she said, but Daddy, Mummy put you in charge, didn't she? <laughs> and ain't that the truth? Um, for those of you that are parents here, it's not always an easy journey. And I think one of the hardest things for parents is to work out how to entertain the kids. And I heard a story about one busy father. He was looking for a way to entertain his young children. And what he decided to do was he found uh, in a magazine a picture of a map of the world. And what he did is he ripped the page out and he cut the picture into lots of different pieces. And he gave the pieces to his children, and he encouraged them to try and put the pieces back together to work out the puzzle. He thought that'll keep them busy for a little bit. And just after a very short time, he was a little bit surprised and actually very shocked to discover that they had completed the puzzle almost immediately. And so he went to them and he asked, how did you manage to do the puzzle, to put it together of the world so quickly? And these children said, well, Daddy, we saw when you ripped the page out of the magazine, on the back cover of the picture of the world, there was a picture of a man and a woman. And we thought, if we put the man and the woman back together, then we'll be able to put the world back together. Relationships between us, between men, between women are so, so key in life. Friendship are the foundation. Great friendships are the foundation of great marriages. Great marriages are the foundation of great families. Great families are the great foundation of great societies. And what I want us to look at today as we go a little bit further along into Colossians chapter 3 is really this whole theme of relationship goals. I wonder if you have made or if you have any relationship goals and what is it about our faith that makes a difference in our relationships as Christians, in a Christian community? Whatever age or stage or phase we're in, I think we want to do relationships well. We want to succeed in our relationships. We certainly don't want to fail in our relationships. We don't want to have dysfunctional relationships. The media is full of relationship 
advice. In the church, there's often relationship advice. I heard of a pastor, a guy called Mike Todd. He's the pastor of Transformation Church in the U.S. And in 2017, he started a new series called Relationship Goals. And when he put that out, you can check it out on YouTube, but it went viral. And now over 10 million people have watched that, looking for advice, looking for information about having healthy and strong relationships. There's this desire in each one of us to succeed. But it's hard, isn't it? Relationships are complicated. They do end up being rather dysfunctional. And as we continue in our series in Colossians, really the whole distance that we've journeyed up until this point is almost like the backdrop of where Paul is beginning to take us. We've looked at Jesus being the center, the focus of our faith. He's the one who is all supreme, all sufficient. It says that as believers in Jesus, putting our faith in him, Paul's reminded us that we are in Christ. That's what we were singing in our time of worship. Our identity is in Christ. There are so many places we can go to in our world to get our identity fed. But actually, we need to get it fed in Christ. If you were here last week, uh, Daisy Seepersad, she was speaking about being clothed with Christ. That's what we read in chapter 3, verse 12. We're called by Paul to put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And over all of these, to put on love. Unconditional, sacrificial love. The love that is ultimately given to us, modeled to us in the person of Jesus. If you're looking for a relationship goal, first and foremost, it should be unconditional love for one another. And it's from this place that suddenly Paul gets immensely practical in this letter to the church. This is where the rubber really starts to hit the road. Because when Christ is in us, when we, when we put our faith in Jesus, something changes Something should be distinctive about our relationships, how we do relationships together. When we've experienced freedom and grace and forgiveness, knowing who we are in Christ, that should affect our everyday lives. And it should affect those that we come into contact with. Sometimes people think, oh, well, I'm, I'm happy to have faith, but it's kind of a, it's a personal thing. Or it's a private thing. But actually, that's not how faith works. Our faith is outworked. And as we are transformed and changed, Jesus sends us to change and transform those around us. And in our passage today, Paul talks particularly about how this is outworked in our relationships. And in our closest relationships, in marriage, in families in the workplace, in our everyday lives. So let's read together Colossians 3, verses 18 to chapter 4, verse 1. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, 
love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, I'm looking at you, Jesse. Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, I'm looking at myself. Do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So just to remind ourselves, this letter is written thousands of years ago. And Paul is writing this letter to the early church in Colossae from uh, prison in Rome. And I think what this sort of says to us is that we've got some serious cultural distance to travel with a letter like this and with verses like this. We've got to go from a, a Greco-Roman world in AD 60 to London in 2022. And as you know, that in that culture at that time, things look very, very different indeed, particularly between the sexes. Uh, it was a very patriarchal society. Women had very little standing in that society. We read that there's slave ownership in that culture, happening in some form in the community of the church. And as we read that, maybe as new Christians or maybe as the fact we've been Christians a long time, that might be quite shocking to us to see that Paul doesn't necessarily or directly say, you should stop having slaves. But he speaks into the relationships, marriages and family and the working relationships between slaves and masters. And I think as we look at this passage, and I've been wrestling with this over the last couple of weeks or so. It's important to recognize that the scripture here, the Bible, it's not, it's not necessarily condoning the culture, but actually it's speaking into the culture. The transforming power of the gospel is speaking into the culture of the time, a particular, a particular time, particular place with particular people. And it's the same today. As the church today, we're gathering around God's word. We're allowing the power of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to speak into our specific context. London 2012. And of course, it raises all kinds of questions when we read verses like this. Is God okay with slavery? Is God okay with inequality between the sexes? I want to say, of course not. God doesn't condone those things. You know, he's the God of justice. We're told in other parts of scriptures that we are all one in Christ. So what are we to make of these verses, particularly in today's context? Well, firstly, we can't just overlay them. 
We can't just say, well, what Paul says there, that's exactly for us today. We're in a very different cultural setting. And I want to say before we dig into this, I'm not really planning tonight to sort of give you the prescriptive party line on relationships for St. Mark's Battersea Rise. I'm not going to stand here and give you a sort of definitive, this is how to do marriage, or this is how to do family, or this is how you should act in the workplace. And I recognize that some of these verses here, for some of us, they'll be quite triggering particular verses about marriage. Maybe that's quite a painful thing for some. Maybe you've longed to be married and it hasn't happened. Maybe you've been married before and you're not married anymore. Maybe you're sitting here and you've not quite got to that stage of being married and you're thinking, how is this talk relevant to me? It may be that you heard those verses tonight and for some reason your shoulders sort of slumped in some way and you thought gosh I've actually been obeying and trying to be submissive in either a relationship or I feel like that in my family or I feel like that in my workplace and actually that's crushed you in some way and you've been hurt in some way by that and it certainly hasn't brought you into the kind of flourishing life-giving gospel truth that you know is the case when you become a Christian And I think with all of this in mind, we've got to be careful of taking this small passage of Scripture and seeing it as, as it were, the blueprint for the Christian household. And I think for us to do that would be way too simplistic. We have to take the whole counsel of Scripture into consideration. And how do we do that? Well, of course, we've seen a bit of a gear shift here in Paul's letter He's getting much more practical. But I think it's really important that we recognize the placement of where he puts these verses in this letter. And if you'll sort of bear with me and we just go back into chapter 3. This is what it says at the end of chapter 3 before we get into verse... uh, Sorry, it's not the end of chapter 3. This is um, just before the section that we've read in verse 18. So this is verse 15 and 16. Verse 15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. So relationship goal, unconditional love. Second relationship goal, peace. Then verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Another relationship goal, gratitude, thankfulness for one another. And here you'll notice in those verses that Paul goes from us kind of learning together as a Christian community, being at peace with one another, to singing And then to submission. Did did you see that? He says, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God. And then just a few verses later, he's talking about submitting in marriage. He's talking about being obedient in our relationships. And this is the exact same pattern that Paul uses in his letters to the Ephesians. And I think that's really, really significant that he would repeat that pattern 
So in chapter 5 of Ephesians, uh, verse 19, he says something very similar. He says, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and make music in your heart to the Lord. And then almost the very next verse, in verse 21 of Ephesians 5, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What if the dominant theme that Paul is wanting to bring forth in these letters to this new Christian community that's coming together, as he's talking about relationships in the context of marriage and family and in the workplace, what if it's not so much about hierarchy that it is about harmony with one another? What if it's less of a specific focus on headship but more on worship, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another. And then out of that place, there's this posture of humility, reflecting Jesus. We see that in Philippians 2, who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. That's what we're to reflect in our relationships with one another, serving one another, honoring and yielding to one another. Some of you may know uh, the theologian David Ford. This is what he says in his commentary about this passage. He says, Now that we are in Christ, regarding our closest relationships, might it be that we are to imagine singing marriages, singing husbands, singing wives, Singing children, singing parents, singing workplaces. I love that idea. That's what our relationships are supposed to be like. That's what our marriages are supposed to be like. Our family dynamics, they're supposed to sing out of something amazing, reflecting our newfound faith in Jesus. It's so easy often to get focused on those words, which, are, which can be quite triggering, triggering for us today in our free society, to submit or to obey. But I love this concept that he uses about free obedience. Uh, free obedience is something that we do when we sing together. As we were worshipping earlier, we were taking part in free obedience. The band, they're, they're adhering to the rules of music, but within that there's freedom. And as we sing together, as we harmonize together, there's freedom in that place. And yet we're adhering, listening to one another, obedient to the rules of the music. It's the same in other areas of life. In sport, I love playing football, footballing, injury, uh, clash of heads. But when I play football, I feel free to play. But I adhere to the rules I'm obedient most of the time to the referee and to the rules of the game. If you go for a walk in the countryside or in the mountains, you follow the path. You're on the right track. You're free to enjoy the walk because you're following the signs. So often in our culture, in our society, freedom in some way is like free for all. But actually the Christian community in our relationships, what Paul is saying here is there's free obedience in our relationships. And the overarching picture here is it's a musical one. Our goal as a Christian community 
is to have relationships that sing out, that live harmoniously with one another. In marriage, it's not one person singing a solo that's dominant over the other person. It's harmonization between the two. Now, could it be that God positions us in these relationships to enable others to sing, to enable others to find their voice? That's what I see my role as, to help Emily find her voice, to make a great sound for my boys, to bring them up in a way that they find their own voice. And that's what we can do in our marriages, in our families, in our workplaces. This is the kind of harmonization that I see here in this passage and what I see in some of the strongest marriages and families that I've witnessed. I was on the phone uh, yesterday to a couple and they've been married for 61 years. And you know when you celebrate your anniversary, like year one is I'm not exactly sure what they are, but it's paper, and then sort of year two is plastic, and then year three is copper, or I don't know, it goes on and on and on. Well, 60 years is oak. It's just like, it's not moving. And, and I respect these uh, people so much in this long-standing Christian marriage, the longest-standing marriage that I know. And I phoned them up and I said, hey, how long have you been married? And they said, it was 61 years. And I said, so let me ask you a question. Do you believe in male headship? And the husband's response was, no, not really. It's an equal partnership. There's collaboration. There's compromise. We've had to work things out all throughout the years. And I think that's what we see here. We see this interdependence within these relationships. I love what Ecclesiastes says. It says, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. It's often used at weddings. You know, you've got the, the husband, the wife, with God at the center. That's what creates strong relationships, strong bonds. And all of these relationships... With God at the center, it's when we know the power of the gospel. It's when we have faith in Jesus. It changes our posture and our perspective. In the workplace, I love this verse, you know, applying this to our lives. In verse 23, Paul says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Whatever you do, whether you're working outside the home, in the home, whether you're studying, you know, I know one or two people close to me who are doing A-levels and GCSEs. You're not doing it for yourself. You're not really doing it for your parents. You're not really doing it for your future. What this says here is you're doing it for the Lord. Work at it as with all your heart as working for the Lord. Whether you're in your dream job at the moment, whether you feel like your job is a bit naff, whether you feel like you're seen in your workplace, whether you feel like it's invisible, actually none of that matters. Because when you step into your workplace or your studying setting, wherever that is, you're doing it for the Lord. He sees you. He values your work. He recognizes your worth. 
You are precious to him. You do it for him. And when we grasp that truth, that completely revolutionizes Monday morning. If you're anything like me, you wake up in a Monday and you go, oh, here we go. Or whatever your timeline is, because it's not really Monday morning, is it, anymore? But at that moment, when we step into that place of work, we're like, Lord, I'm not doing this for my boss or my, I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this as if it's my work, as if it's my worship to you. And God sees it, and it says here that he rewards faithfulness. If you're a boss, if you're in charge, whatever that looks like in your context, you might be a team leader or a supervisor or a company manager, you might be a director. You know, there's some stuff in here for you as well. Colossians 4 verse 1, it says, Masters, bosses, employers, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. We're, we're called to provide what is right and fair, what is just for those who are working under us, around us. And in all of this, Jesus is the ultimate relationship goal. He's the center. He's the one who we're to reflect. All these verses, verse 18, it says, this is fitting in the Lord. Verse 19, as Christ loves the church. Verse 20, for the, this pleases the Lord. Verse 23, do it for the Lord. Verse 24, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. As we read these verses, I want to encourage us, church, let's create relationships that sing. Let's create marriages, families, workplaces where people can find their voice, where they're encouraged, where they're supported. And whatever you do tonight, I want to encourage you to work at it as if you are working for the Lord. Let that change our hearts. Let that change our minds as we go into our study or into our workplaces tomorrow.